0: It's 1001 LA Nights, this is LA Rivers with you. So in this second episode, I have a pirate who is also a poet and a gentleman. Jane Nathaniel Correz is my guest. He hails from across the pond, but happened to be in Colorado. And so both of us sitting at Starbucks, me in California, him in Colorado, we did the interview. And so the background noise is not too bad. It was a little distracting during the recording, but it didn't pick up too bad. So just know we were both at Starbucks. So I promised to tell you a couple of things. Um, and last episode I forgot to tell you, so I have to remember to tell you this time. Uh, one of the fun things I did on hiatus was I got to be on uh, the set of a filming of a short kind of a series that's a spinoff of a movie that's coming out in October called Carmina. And Carmina is a traditional um, Filipino folktale that has been turned into an American urban fantasy by the remarkable special effects um, wizard, Mark Nizal who hails from the Philippines. I met Mark through a friend and we got talking and both found out we had lived in the Middle East uh, in neighboring countries and that led to talks about cultural anthropology. Then he was showing me the outtakes from the film Carmina, which is the name of the character. And um, he invited me to be a guest at the shooting of the short film that he was producing and I got to be a consultant for metaphysical things that was so much fun um had a blast and so Carmina comes out in October what I really love about the project is the one it's, it's a passion project for Mark now that he's won an Emmy for doing special effects for Gotham etc he has the ability to do some of his own stuff and really have his own vision realized. And I loved that he was um, determined to bring new narratives, new to us in America, because he was fascinated about how stories migrate, because, you know, a lot of the stories we tell um, come from our original domiciles, the the places where our families came from. And so people don't always know where the story came from in the family, but it'll be maybe several hundred years old. And so uh, he's fascinated by that and has had some really interesting synchronicities occur, such as our very chance meeting. And so it was an honor and a pleasure to be on set for that. And I get to go to the film premiere, which is really super cool. So that was one of the fun things I got to do. Uh, because, you know, when you're in Southern California, why not go to a filming of something? Anyway, uh, without further ado, why don't we listen to the dulcet tones of... J. Nathaniel Kors, or Court Cores, is how he pronounces it, I'll get it right one of these days, and you'll hear us um, yap on about all things literary and writing and whatnot. And in the last um, portion of the um, podcast, I can speak, I'll be talking about the book, the book I finished. I did, I finished the book, and I'll talk about that later. Um, oh, and I've almost forgot to mention we have a very special privilege because J. Nathaniel read from his own work, Hearts and Scales. So instead of me reading, unless you're a patron, uh, you will be hearing J. Nathaniel read from his work arts and scales. All right, everyone. We have a gentleman, a pirate, and a poet all in one package with J. Nathaniel Kors here with me, uh, who is uh, luckily stateside, so we didn't have to play around with time zones too much. So welcome to 1001 LA Nights. How are you doing?
1: Well, first, good morning or afternoon, depending on where you're at. And um, as we say back home, spectacular.
0: <laughs> Fabulous. Brilliant. So, um, <laughs> I often have fun tweeting um, with you on, on Twitter in the writing community. And you are an accomplished author with many a good tale to tell. I hope Let's so. T- Well, one would hope, but not every author is good. But I enjoy the premises of your stories. So let's talk. You've got a series called Camden Follies. Camden Follies, yeah. Yeah, so Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about Camden Follies.
1: Well, for years, I had really been sort of agonizing over it because um, my... Silver Screen Heroes and whatnot started with the likes of uh, Douglas Fairbanks and uh, Buster Crab and worked into Errol Flynn and that lot. I watched some of the American westerns, you know, with John Wayne, Clint Eastwood and whatnot, the spaghetti stuff. But I noticed a pattern. You know, they always get the girl, they had one in every port, town, village, planet country you could name (laughs) up. I mean, right. I mean, it always sounded like a a bad misogynist dating game, you know, and they always got hurt or killed in some fashion. You know, always be that, that, you know, that hang up of, will he get her out, you know, blah, 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 did the villain, you know, finally succeed in ridding us of our hero, you know, oh no, boo his, you know, bad villain, and I got to mm-hmm. the point where, you know, what would happen if we could actually look behind the scenes on that? And better yet, what would happen if we kind of stuck it to the hero? So I came up with Camden foolish because I thought, you know, gee, who better to stick it to? And, Brilliant. Um, so it's part it's adventure, uh, somewhat comedy, melodrama, and sort of a recurring theme of, of comedy in it. Nice. And so what? Go ahead. go ahead. And it's not nope. the villain, you know, it's not the fact that he could beat the villain or not. You know, you kind of get this, you get, the villains are villainous. In fact, downright, just, you really want to tear him apart to a certain extent. But it's just what happens. It really drives him to want to go out and fight the big fight, you know, the good fight or whatever it is this week. It has nothing to do with that. <laughs> mm-hmm. his home life. And so it's just everything behind the scenes that leads into these things and how he strategizes and whatnot. But yeah, I I suck it to him. I suck it to the hero, finally. Well done, well done
0: on behalf of all women who had to put up with that terrible trope. Um, (laughs) How important to you as an author is it it to create um, kind of a, a different
1: kind of narrative?
0: your stories, you know, different than what we see over and over and over, the tropes?
1: Um, for me, I just, I never looked at it as being difficult or, uh, or any other challenge than, for example, setting up the universe itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, the, in the corner, in the quadrant that he's in, uh, as in with most of the Corinthian empire, which is where this is set, uh, the religion... Is the same oddly enough and then just finding the, the common ground and various you know, how the societies actually set themselves up uh one of the other running gags i have in there is something called the spoils of war clause that various races actually have even the pirate clans which he's now joined and because without trying you could wind up with a spouse <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> and of course, for someone like him who's thinking, you know, I'm, you know, he's going to go after this one girl, so to speak, et cetera, et cetera so, You know, have the usual happy ending girl from the sunset, uh-uh. <laughs> Brilliant. But, That's funny. You know, and, um, but it, it never really occurred to me. You know, I did that with, the uh, Elder Offensive, even. You know, it never occurred to me about the equality problems or whatnot. I just sort of put the world together, put the universe and its governments and individual things together and just did it. I mean, mm-hmm. true, I, could, I could wind up like Tolkien in one fact, but I could probably put together about, oh, what was it, a whole library of binders that are roughly 10,000 pages each on the, on the various races like the Dadarians, the, the Timbal, the Dirge and whatnot, and then right. the, the various governments and uh, elder offensive the way they are in the future. Uh-huh um, again i don't look at it as anything more as a, as a than a uh, I wouldn't call it a personal challenge, but I just this bubbly event have uh, this opportunity to just go out there and put it together so so
0: what's kind of the driving force about creating your worlds the way you create them so like an elder offensive like what drove the the story was it the story itself just kind of knocking on the door saying write me write me or was, was there an another, element of crafting
1: in it was um, a combination of three things one my friends have been writing something along the lines of the you know the cthulhu uh, genre mm-hmm. and thought when it came to the stories number two i thought why not use? You know, I don't normally think of things in terms of horror and whatnot, and I'm not usually the blood and guts type, anyway. But I'm more on the lines of, um, oh, what was it? The, if you remember the Twilight Zone, mm-hmm. the horror wasn't necessarily in the monster, but or something like that. But it was in an object implied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then it's something like the monsters do on Maple Street to a certain extent. Easy, hmm mm-hmm. and um, but, you know, it's quite fun too. So I just sat down and started writing it. I mean, and when it came to dragons, for example, before you go into that on uh, scales mm-hmm. and hearts, it's just I love the subject of dragons, number one. Well, duh, who doesn't? And, um, believe it or not, I actually met a few people. It's it's scary. <laughs> well, they're. N- it's kind of like having an accountant in the family. You know, we, we we know he's there, but we don't talk about him. I was
0: gonna say, I mean, isn't that a great filter for knowing if we want to associate with someone? Oh, you don't like dragons in your literature, do you? Well, I see then. Anyway, so tell me about the dragons.
1: Um, Oddly enough, in every story for Scales and Hots, the protagonist, there is a male protagonist, but it seems as if the real power and the driving behind it, and it is true by the by, is the female dragon. Well of course. And unlike other dragon stories where you know you have the Coco Knight and Shining Almond, which I call the uh tin of dragon um goodie. Mm-hmm. We used to have that in Dungeons and Dragon, by the way. We used to refer to the paladins as the ones we'd send in in case, you know, to soften up the dragon and you know by uh, giving it a tin of some really good food. hmm mm-hmm. Yeah, you can always resurrect them later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can eat this. It's, 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 ooh, talk about the meat tenderizing, et cetera, et cetera. I, know, I'm going to eat, uh, I got a really um, good yeah.
0: dragon, I got a really good dragon cloak once out of sending a pally after them first and then brought my barbarian in after uh, said dragon got softened up. The pally wasn't happy about it. <laughs> Go ahead.
1: But so anyway, um, I'm, unlike most people, I don't make them treasure happy greedy you know what is it like Smaug for example in in Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The Hobbit. On the contrary they're very intelligent they can be offended by some rather interesting remarks and quite eloquent Nice. so I decided to go from that and and the other bit about it is one of the things that people don't Really, write about in, in tales of dragons. Is one part of the mythos is that they uh, are shapeshifters. Mm. So oh, that's interesting. Human, they can't take human form. Mm-hmm. I know for the uh, eastern dragons, like the um, the four gods of the four winds, for example, mm-hmm. they could do that too. And yeah. rivers for example, they took the form of a river. And in Japan, for example, they had a few of them that they dedicated to the dragons as they were they became rivers.
0: Mm-hmm. So basically mm-hmm. they were water
1: elementals or something along those lines too. Right. I, I pushed it from that general you know, I hadn't seen this before, so I think I'll try that.
0: I like that. I like that. I think um I think we're in need of you know spicing up some of our stories these days. Um, Later on in the podcast, I'm going to be talking about my experience as a consultant on set for Mm
1: -hmm.
0: a filmmaker who is uh, Filipino, who is actually the Emmy Award winning special effects person behind Gotham, um, the television show. And he's Mm -hmm. doing a private project and he's bringing traditional Filipino folklore into urban fantasy. And he's made a movie called Carina, or sorry, Carmina, and then uh, Offshoot, which is what I was helping with as far as like tarot cards and astrology and kind of showing them how people do that. And um, and anyway, it, I love that more and more authors of, of from any background are at least saying, Hey, let's let's take another stab at this mythos and bring it from other traditions and give us something a little different to watch you know <laughs> just something a little different would be nice and i because i think we need to spice things up i think sometimes things get a little well, tired to
1: give you a little bit of a heads up and a little mm-hmm. bit of a treat for the readership in the future i'm working on a short story right now um i tend to be going to have the thing co- titled uh, uh, the cafe or something along those lines but it's a grandmother, mother, and daughter dragon running a uh, cafe in America. Mm. And because of the daughter, I mean, the granddaughter, if you want to call it that, they're trying vegan out. <laughs> That's
0: brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a
1: little young. She's still about maybe one, 200 years old, so she's still young. Just a By young this, thing. And so she discovered she didn't like having to hunt rabbits and whatnot. And she liked veg. Her mom thinks it's a phase. Grandma thinks it's cute. But oh, she that's does cute. She, she makes um, this really fantastic fiber muffin and whatnot. And the people are amazed at how fast they get the food out.
0: <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I love it.
1: Something about you know the ovens being on almost 24 hours, but they don't use uh, gas or electric. <laughs> it's just not a- <laughs> That's brilliant.
0: So um, you're going to be back stateside for cosine. Cosine. Sorry, cosine. I said it wrong again. Obviously, I really hated math. And so there we go. Um, So (laughs) you want to talk a little bit about that?
1: Okay, I've been there before for about since 2008. I also come in and out because of the fact that my mom's out here and uh, I do caregiving. So I could be anywhere at any given point. I'm considered a world citizen more than anything else. Mm -hmm. And, um, therefore this it's basically, it's a science fiction convention with fantasy and horror built in, Mm -hmm. but there's more of an emphasis on the writers, the authors themselves. Uh, The panels that I remember were things like, um, Undead, has it finally reached end or was it getting somewhere else? I mean, I sat in on a, a, a panel of, all the kids, the kids are all right, you know, mm-hmm. dystopian fantasy in um, or fiction in young adults mm-hmm. or middle grade fiction. Mm-hmm. You know, how it, that whole dark future bit. Yep.
0: It's not my favorite thing to hand kids, but yeah.
1: Yeah, there seems to be a, a big spike in it as far as reading goes. Yep. And then there's the one about um, well, represent. There's one about um, I also cited about representation in um, fiction for the LGBT community. Mm-hmm. There was a mm-hmm. long discussion on that. You know what? What do you think about? And I know for uh, Camden and Sollies, for example, one of the things that's big about it is we don't. There's no labeling in it, but it's implied, and actually, you know, there's no rules or taboos against gender, intergender dating and all that sort of thing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. In fact, one of the, um, if you have since you haven't read it yet, oh, oh well, I'll give you a little bit of a hint. There's a couple, uh, a pirate couple named Croft and Sean that you'll run into, and they're famous for getting into little fights and, and causing their ship to... have problems Mm -hmm. because one's supposed to be a navigator the other one's supposed to be the captain well you know but there's that um, there's a few things in there about it but like I said I'll let you read it right that sounds good so go ahead go ahead
0: nope continue
1: but um, anyways And and one little note on the dragon bit, I have only got one really bad review and that's really because she said, well, you should put, you put a lot of heart in the writing but not in the editing and I'm thinking, excuse me, I revised that thing more times than I could think of, number one, number two, oh, wait a minute, that's right, she's American. Oh, she didn't like your spelling, huh? (laughs) Spelling and, and, and use of grammar, for example, I'm used to saying certain things a certain way.
0: You know, having gone to university in England, and I had, even though I went to a U.S. um, institution, different professors required different grammar. And so what I ended up with was a hodgepodge between um, basically Oxford English and, and American English, uh, usually somewhere centered close to the Chicago manual of style. If that's what I learned. And, um, <laughs> and, and so it's just, I gave up caring or trying to be anything other than my style of writing so when my book comes out if people don't like it they can they can lump the grammar because like, you try living all over the world and using you know i'm i'm lucky i get my spelling straight anymore um good lord but yeah i i think people need to lighten up we've only had standardized spelling and grammar since the late 1890s people can you know deal with it so <laughs>
1: Um, not that well, I know, I'd like but... to tell people that um, yes. there's a, it's, I can sum up American by simply pointing to a place in France. In the store window, it says English spoken, American understood. <laughs> and I added something to it later on. I said English spoken, American understood, with translator and Rosetta Stone. There you go.
0: Right, right. Well, I felt that way when I went to England. I, I actually experienced culture shock in England more than I did in any other country. Because I expected in my naivete for the culture to be similar. The thing was, is it, was it was almost like being in a parallel universe. Because it was kind of sort of not quite. Which was... W- very much more difficult to deal with than way, way different. Way, way different, you expect. <laughs> you, know, you know you're going to run into things. Um, but just not being able to understand what people were saying to me. You know, some of the accents were very difficult. Um, well, um,
1: I can tell you, Jordi... Yep, is- that was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> but mine is, mine when I'm going, I think I, I even caught you a few times today, John, it was, um, mine's a southern British accent, so I just, I'll start going and I can't remember how or why or when, but I'll just get, I'll start banging on about something and all of a I'll lose people about maybe a furlong long in the conversation. What did you say?
0: Well, if I'm in front of you in person, you probably won't lose me as well badly um over the internet and in connections with ambient noise and background noise i get lost um i like i get lost with people across the room um but uh, yeah you the the real cockney um which oh i ran god. into my god i had first arrived clock in England.
1: Is. He is, clock is. yes
0: they spoke this language and i was new to England got out of Victoria station, got in the cab, had no idea where Watford was, which was twenty miles away uh, ever you know how, how the heck was I supposed to know there was no internet then and um, it it got released a few months later <laughs> but anyway um the guy started the cabbie started speaking real cockney, <laughs> and I started to cry <laughs> i just I lost it. Um, <laughs> and then, then oh, he spoke English girl. that I could understand oh yeah he just was like I was 18 I just like oh my god my mom was right <laughs> I shouldn't have come all this way with a one-way ticket <laughs> but yeah um, that was pretty funny
1: <laughs> yeah oh, beans, and toast, to mom. beans and toast yeah that's it <laughs> oh
0: god yeah beans and toast oh god yeah that's another story but um yeah, so it's been a pleasure. I have a question that I ask every single author, um, mm-hmm. but before I ask that, so people can find your books on Amazon, they can find them at Barnes & Noble, um, they'll be able to find you at Cosine, cosine sorry. You um, find like
1: Cosine, but not me pers- personally on there. I'm with First, well, yeah, so I don't know First Friday fandom and such, but never mind that. Um, generally speaking, <laughs> online, uh, Facebook, um, Twitter, yeah, and I'll
0: have your handles and I'll have your blog and stuff on the um, uh, uh yeah, I'll have all of that on the podcast description. Um, so last question. If there's one thing you'd like your readers to take away from your writing, regardless of genre or series, what would be your, your hope as a writer?
1: My hope is the same thing as John Macari, basically. Uh, he, When he sits down to type, it's like he's at a campfire and he's getting ready to tell a tale to a small audience on uh, campus, so to speak. And it just excites them the idea that having their attention and just being entertaining for them for whatever amount of time it is, because it just feels that way to me. I mean, I, I write stories because of what I want to hear in, in the story, what I want to read in one, and I get influence from hundreds if not thousands of different sources technically, although mainly Professor Tolkien. Uh, is one. Andre Norton is another. I love Agatha Christie and such.
0: Oh, yes. <laughs> Indeed. <So. laughs> all, all good muses. Do you ever feel like when you're really in the zone writing, and maybe mm-hmm. it's just me and maybe I'm a little mad, but sometimes I feel like some of my favorite authors who are no longer in this dimension. Mm-hmm. are sitting on my shoulder or crowding over and going, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, do that, do that. Oh, that was good. You know, sometimes I just feel the presence of some of those voices and, and masters, basically, you know, just kind of leaning in. Do you ever feel that way sometimes when something's just, like, particularly juicy that you Well,
1: written. I can almost envision someone like Professor Tolkien, I was laughing when I'm putting something together. (laughs) And I know that a lot of them, you know, his, he's considered uh, by the youthful crowd as being a bit boorish. (laughs) Um, Me, I just sort of, I didn't hear a worship of him or anything, but at the same time, I realized that, you know, here's a template or the bar being set for a not just the fantasy genre, but you know, everything across the board. If you want to write a series more than a few books, for example, even just that, mm-hmm. how you set the world, how you set the language, how you set the culture and whatnot. Right. And there may be uh, details that people think of as being tedious, but you want to get it right to a degree. Or right. well, should we get close to something that you can envision? And when it comes to the non-human stuff, you, you want to give it, present it with the as, you know, unbiased as possible, mm-hmm, even though, you know, you're going to inadvertently put in the human angle, right? But yeah, I, think I picture him laughing. as He reads over my shoulder. And I know a few of my friends who I gave snippets to, to, to read over some things, they basically mm-hmm. said this is pretty good. Right. You know? it's kind of humorous. Right. So, right. but mainly what I hear is just that, Stand on my character telling me, no, no, I wouldn't say that, say right. this. and it's really I, bizarre because it's almost as if I've gone to another dimension and, you know, sat there with my as a stenographer, sitting there, you know, typing away and all of a sudden, no, 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 I did not say that, I swear, I did not say that, don't do that. I, yeah, yeah,
0: I often say that, that, uh, writing is like tapping into another dimension, that we're we're kind of manifesting something through a portal, you know, at least the way I write. I don't sit and, like, for fiction, I do not really outline. There's a story, it knocks on the door and I feel like I quote unquote channel it, Um, you know, so I never outline my fiction. Um, I do outline my non-fiction which is interesting um like meticulously but for fiction it's like they talk to me you know it's like that and it's weird you know it's almost crazy making but i love hearing from other authors when they say, because i'm like oh it's not just me um I think that's why i felt a little bit sad when i finished the last story in this collection yeah you because know? you make friends with these people do you ever feel sad when you finish writing a series or a book because you don't get to talk to him anymore?
1: Not quite. I mean, one of the things I wrote in uh, Camden's Follies is a piece of advice that uh, uh, the lead protagonist, James, was mentioning as someone, his grandfather told him that life is a great journey and that you, you run a foul or run across many a traveler. The ones mm-hmm. that stick with you the most are the ones that are meant to be with you. Mm. So when you come across something like this and you know even they, if they're a temporary companion or compatriot mm-hmm. on the road I always feel enriched. I never feel bad about having to part weight company with them and I also know that eventually the way I write too that I should be able to come up with something either for James Codulin for example or something else. I can even write mm-hmm. side stories based on some of the characters that are introduced as part of the supporting cast. Mm-hmm. So it's always interesting to me to, to do that. I never quite feel that sad. I felt, always felt bad maybe when I read someone else's work, you know, at the very end of the month, man. Yeah, like
0: you're saying goodbye to an old friend. Mm-hmm. Oh. That's a really beautiful philosophy you have on that, though, taking away the enrichment of the, of the encounter. That's really lovely. You know, it's been a pleasure having you here. I look forward to having you on 1001 la nights again uh, such a fun interview such a pleasure so nice to speak with you after well,
1: just i didn't get a chance to really read out of um, scales and Hearts, but i'm okay
0: <laughs> well you can sir you can but that would be a different segment otherwise yeah, i, I know, have I to know, I know. edit the snot out of it so we'll have you read out of uh, scales and hearts, but in the another segment. So I'm going to end this recording. Ta-ta, folks. And then uh, we can do a different one as well. Stay tuned, folks.
1: whoopy cool, and fruity, folks.
0: <laughs> oh. One. We have Jay Nathaniel course who is going to be reading from Scales and Hearts? All right, I'm gonna hand it over to you. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, here we go. running. It's not the most pleasurable pastimes when one isn't in any shape to do so. A forest is the worst place to have to discover how much you're not in any shape to try, let alone dream of becoming involved with. And yet, in the midst of a smoke-filled Disgustingly hot wooded area, a lone figure that best represented the cash potato crowd went tearing through the, the underbrush, attempting just that. Marion Arthur Raphael was pretty much a cubicle groundhog. Anything above a relaxing stroll to the library or over to the pizza parlor he loved to patronize with his fellow computer analysts was usually too much to even dream about. It wasn't until the annual physical that Marion was shocked to. Into the need for more vigorous exercise. When the company offered a camping and hiking retreat to Germany, it was an offer to good to refuse. There was even a chance to meet up with one of his online gaming friends. So he came on this camping trip to get to the great Black Forest in Germany to relax and improve his fitness level. Not to die a horrible death at the hands of an unseen presence. Well, to be honest, he and the others didn't need to see it. He saw the destructive structuring it brought after the guide accidentally or on purpose took a giant egg-shaped object from a very large and newly found cave, thus the mad dash to be anywhere, a flame-throwing and earth-shaking thing isn't. It started innocently enough though. Marion and his immediate supervisor Bob and his would-be girlfriend Edna, There's a few other brave or naive souls arrived at the Berlin airport lugging around a hundred kilos of luggage each. Almost none of the things they brought were appropriate for caffeine, aside from the torch, sleeping bag, hiking shoes and jean trousers. It resembled what one might take to a weekend slumber party. The look on the guide's face was amazing. It went from smiling, pleasant and jovial to amazed, panicked and consternated and back again in mere moments. Gerhardt, once old, had been leading tourists, particularly English-speaking ones, through the Black Forest for ages. This group cake take, or at least, seemed more fit for that activity in his eyes. He wondered where on earth such a pampered people really came from and why he was cursed to be in charge of such a motley bunch. He cleared his throat politely and his assistant held up a sign, barely from a desire to faint from the hilarity, that pointed it to him in, their guide, in being their guide. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would please, my name is Munsell, Herr Munsell, if you would be so. I was hired by the Tech Corporation to be your guide for your nature outing. Is there a Mr. Jennings here? One of the gents in the back of Bakers doesn't raise the hand meekly. Uh, yes, Herr Munsell, that'd be me. Larry Jennings head of my IT marketing department and these are my subordinates and co-workers. His voice seemed to trail off as a look from Munsell reminded him of his boss a real hard ass and sticker for rules and protocols Thank you I just wanted to know who was the leader of this charming group of campers I shall familiarize myself with the rest of your party enough. Mosul spoken. Of Quite stiff to downright military tone, like a superior who speaks to his lessons. The last was filled with biting sarcasm and a touch of bile. The group of English and American candidates snapped to attention after he finished. This was definitely someone who didn't put a cross on for any amount of money. Marion nearly wet himself, he was so shocked and frightened. Edna just grabbed his hand very fast, as if reading his mind and not smelling the fear he was exuding. For some odd reason, the touch of a hand immediately calmed the frightened city boy. To tell the truth, the only time he felt brave was when playing the popular online video game, Fantasy Fighters. He always played as either a paladin or a rogue nursery. Though, on an even odder note, he always wound up adventuring with what was supposed to be a female player from Germany. Whoever she or he was, they always played under the handle of Crimson Claw. Edna always found that part of him very charming, the gamer. Today, however, he was being back to, to being a slightly overweight computer geek or nerd, seemingly being picked on yet again by the big jerk of the day. Will we keep reading?
0: And that's that brilliant. Um, and I like teasers, so I like that. I, for one, am going to go get more. Thank you so much for sharing.
1: You're welcome. Hopefully, I didn't do too badly. I'm normally I'm horrible with this sort of thing too
0: not at all not at all so one moment please Mm -hmm. wasn't that just wonderful it was such a pleasure to have Jay Nathaniel read from Hearts and Scales I love his take on dragons Um, they're not your traditional dragons You can find his work um, in Bardens and Noble and on Amazon, and I'll have links to all of that in the description. Uh, Speaking of books, I finished mine. I finished my short story last week, uh, my last short story of the collection, and wove it all into a book. I was really good to myself and actually started formatting the book back in July and forgot about it so when i i thought i knew actually i had a template kind of set with the title but i didn't realize i had like pretty much mostly had the whole thing set up and just needed the last part of the second to last story and the last story in there so yay yay me um it's a remarkable accomplishment just to finish it it's in editing right now um I've been kind of puttering and chiseling away and kind of amazed at all the dumb things I've seen in the manuscript. But I did mostly write this book on my phone. So there's like 68,831 words typed with my thumbs. Um, I think only the bully, uh, bully bully-proof yarn I wrote, um, I typed out on my laptop. Everything else I did with my thumbs on my phone don't ask me why it just life was kind of crazy and it just seemed like the easiest way to write the manuscript so um, that's a lot of thumb typing Um, the real life granny annie is over the moon about this i reached out this week to let her know and i wasn't sure if she would be able to open the digital files because I'm not there to help her I used to help her with her computer stuff before I moved away and um, so I'll be getting a physical copy to her Um, edited or not edited it probably won't matter i just do one print print on demand copy get it to her before I put it out into the world she is delighted Um, there's a reason I decided to kind of write this opus for her and I met her by chance, and as all great friendships start, you know, just by chance, I was uh, with my son, he was four, and I had shown up in town, because we lived on Camino Island, we had to drive into the town, um, I'd shown up a little bit early, I was still getting used to the distance between places, and I wanted to show up on time, because I was, volunteering to read to preschool children and I wasn't ready for my son and he wasn't ready to go to preschool yet even though he was three or four sorry Uh, we had moved a couple times and I kind of wanted him to have a little stability with mama but he needed to learn to socialize and sit down so you know listen and so I chose to be the story lady for the uh, preschoolers across from the family resource center they'd come over like cute little duckies in a row and read stories to them but I was early about 20 minutes early and I had a four-year-old to occupy and there was a craft store right next to the family resource center and the owner June had this wonderful box of toys that kids could play with while mom shopped and it was a great place to keep a busy guy busy so I went and um when it was time to go, I said his name and I said, Hey Yusuf, put your toys away. And there was this cute older woman with lovely cropped curls, just like I describe in the book. And she said, Oh, that's an Arabic name And <clears throat> I was flabbergasted. Most people would hear me say Yusuf and assume I had mispronounced his name, you know, and thought his name was Yosef. Because a blonde little guy, you wouldn't know his grandma was from Africa or his, you know, dad was Arabic and and um, just the way the genes played out. And so I looked at her and I was like, wow, how'd you know that? She goes, oh, I was engaged to a Jordanian once. And I said, oh my. And we started chatting and, and I had to go. And I said, you know, I have to go. I have to go read to the kids. And she handed me a card, and it said spinning, hand spinning. And I said, like, with a spinning wheel? And she was, yeah. And I said, my gosh, I always wanted to learn. It's like magic. And she said, I'll teach you. So about a month later, I finally called her back, and it was the best decision I ever made. Um, I learned how to spin yarn on a wheel. I learned how to bake Scottish shortbread. I learned... Um, I learned so much, and most of all, I learned how to love myself, because Anne sees you as whole in who you are, and uh, the story we'll see about that is completely fictional, except for the part where Jean struggles with having had an art teacher tell her that if she never did art again, he would pass her, and that actually happened to me. And it did a lot of damage. I was 14. Um, I'm visually impaired, so I can't draw photorealistically. Or I can, but you're gonna get what I see, and that's not what most people see. And so it was a really cruel thing for that art teacher to do. And Anne was excited about teaching me how to sculpt with wool one day. And I said, Well, I warn you, I don't have a creative bone in my body and she just looked over her glasses at me and said, we'll see about that. She didn't argue with me. She didn't, um, give me a hard time about it. She just said, we'll see. And it ended up opening my world. It was such an important part of life. So anyway, um, again, pardon the dog barking. It's, uh, Part of why I didn't do the podcast for a while was, uh, I don't have great recording space, so we're just gonna like it and lump it and deal with dogs. Um, the other thing about the book is I have a wonderful offer of an edit, and, uh, you know, typing sixty-eight thousand three hundred eighty-one words with your thumbs is, is something else. Is all I gotta say. Um, I'm amazed that there's less mistakes than there is, you know, given given that um, being inspired by Ray Bradbury's Illustrated Man, um, it was really something to be able to put this work together into a cohesive narrative you know the nesting doll effect of having a story and a story and a story and a story um including in ties that bind which is the middle story where um you know there's multiple things going on multiple perspectives and making sure that that flowed correctly and stayed straight and um someone, I asked, I had somebody bait it, read that and make sure it wasn't moving too slow. There's a lot of containment in these stories. Um, there's, there's not as much action. There's a lot of interaction. And um, the events happen sharp and quick and then there's a whole lot of understanding what, what it was that happened because it's more about people relating and interrelating. And as I said at the top of the episode, um, I wanted to write something that dealt with life as it is, but in a more positive narrative. Because I know how that's affected me in my own life by maintaining a positive narrative. Um, I was able to heal in remarkable ways, in ways that people thought were impossible. So um, I think more than ever, we need a big, big dose of hope. And Granny Annie is the person to give that.